Hello ladies and gentlemen this is Nishant and welcome to another episode of the Nishant Garg show the mission of this show is to spread awareness on mindfulness practices psychology mental health and spirituality my job on this show is to invite world class performers to share the practices to live a fulfilled life this episode guest is Deborah Eger Deborah is a writing teacher to more than 1000 and a marketer who has generated more than 104 million dollars in revenue She specializes in helping business professionals figure out what content to create and exactly how to say it in order to connect with clients. Her clients say her copywriting and marketing experience helps them avoid common pitfalls, making it faster and easier for them to inspire and educate their audiences. Her own writing has appeared in The Week, Narratively, The Tablet, Greatest, and in texts by Oxford University Press and Bloomsbury Publishers. She founded the International 32 Poems magazine and it is carried in libraries at Harvard, Yale, Brown and others. So grab her entire template writing guide here www.radiantmedialabs.com/writingguide. In this episode, she walks through how to put ideas into writing, how to write personable content, when to add personal story and when not. And to know more, keep listening. Debra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Nishant. My pleasure. I'm thrilled to have you. And I would like to start off with something very funny. How does your family describe what you do for a living? They say I help people become better writers. They may also say I teach people how to write better. Teach people how to write better. That's very interesting. Could you elaborate more on that? Sure. And it might even be a little bit more than that. So, Please. I started my current business as a marketing company. Then I shifted into helping marketing and sales executives write their books. That expanded to where I was helping financial advisors and executive coaches write their books and get their content out there. And what's really more important about that is it's not just writing the book, it's not just getting the content out there. It's about helping people and sharing their ideas more widely. So if they can get their ideas out there, that gives them the opportunity to help more people, whether they help people create secure financial futures, whether they help heal organizations, help people plan for retirement, whatever it is, they end up doing that through their words. How did you get into becoming a writing coach? I have written since I was small and I studied writing in college. I later got a graduate degree in creative writing. And a lot of the jobs I had, even if my job title did not have writer in it, I ended up being sought out by my colleagues, bosses and so on to write something or other for my different jobs whether it was a presentation to persuade people whether it was copy something else i kept being sought out to do that kind of work and it just came from there really as a listener if i think i don't know how to write 
how can I put my ideas into writing? How can we get started from there? That is a great question. Anything can be learned, which is what's so exciting about this. And anyone can get better at writing if they put their mind to it. So I think a lot of times people aren't or think they're not good writers because there might be some self-doubt. That's one, that's one element I see pop up in people quite often. They will say, who am I to talk about this? Or aren't there so many other coaches or financial planners or physicians out there? How can, how can what I'm saying be any different than what everyone else is saying? So sometimes the concern around writing comes from that. Sometimes it comes from the technical aspects of writing, where to put the commas, how to create a sentence, et cetera, grammar. et cetera. Yeah, the grammar. So I try not to use any kind of lingo. I just <laughs> kind of boil things down quite a bit. So the way I view it, it's almost like a language where you, you know, the grammar you use, it is a language, obviously, but also those, those pauses become similar to pauses in music or the, the elements that we'll see in a mathematical formula. You know, everything has a language to it. So probably if people aren't comfortable writing, there's probably some other language they know. It could be the language of creating healthy cultures inside organizations, the language of creating good leaders. So everybody knows something. So it's just a matter of applying what they know and being able to carry that over to express it through writing. Do you think uh, writing is still very important skill these days because we have audio, video everywhere on social media? That's a really good question. I think it is. And when I first came to do more video years ago, I didn't realize how, how important it was to have a script or how important it was to have some idea of what you're talking about. So if you come onto a video and you're not getting to the point, you'll lose people. A lot of times on social media, peop, uh, the audience, the watchers, don't want to spend 45 minutes listening to someone speak only to receive two minutes of value out of that video. So I think there's a lot to be said for succinct video that gets to the point. And in order to do that, there needs to be some writing that happens first, or at least some bullet points of what will be covered. Are you saying that even if it is two-minute video or audio, just put some bullet points in that post? I think that helps people, yes. I think that helps people stay on track. Now, there's some types of video where I don't do that. For instance, I had a pop-up video series on Facebook, and so what I did is I asked three questions. The idea was to keep it under 10 minutes. And ask everyone the same three questions. And that was how we kept that short and to the point. So I also think when someone's shooting a video of themselves, that there's a lot of opportunity for creativity in terms of what they talk about so that they could switch it up and not have to be talking about the exact same topics all the time. We are talking about writing social media posts and it can be on LinkedIn, Facebook. Instagram doesn't allow that. So mostly on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. And how long should my message or the post should be? How, how many words should we use in that post so that we can capture the audience? Sometimes if it is too long, I personally may not read that. 
Yes. I, I think that, well, it's interesting. A long time ago when I worked for a media company, we conducted a test, a landing page test or sales page test. And I thought that the shorter version would do better. And I was proven wrong. It was actually the longer letter that did better. Now, there's a couple things that are important to know about that. One, it was selling an extremely expensive product. So perhaps people needed the longer page to be convinced to spend that amount of money. So that's a consideration. So for social, so what does this mean for social media and why am I talking about it? Because we never really know for sure. And unless we have clear analytics that we can look at, then if we don't have clear analytics, which is probably the case for the entrepreneur or solopreneur, then I think it's worth it to experiment and to sometimes write shorter and sometimes write longer and learn over time what seems to get the response that you're looking for. This is very powerful statement. You just mentioned that experimentation is the key and uh, Mm -hmm. we, we don't know. And for some coach, their audience may like longer format. For some coach, their audience may like shorter format. So we got to keep doing experimentation. What, what do you think about making diehard fans for a coach? If we have diehard fans, they are diehard. So whatever we write, they are going to read or watch. <laughs> yeah. First, you have to get to that point where they are diehard fans. And I think that comes through serving people in some way. So I hear the word value tossed around a lot on LinkedIn to the point everywhere. Yes, to the point <laughs> where I'm not I'm not such a fan anymore of the word value. <laughs> just because it's overused, I appreciate what it means and I agree with the concept. I'm just a little bit tired of hearing it. So there is this idea that we what want you, to sorry to interrupt. What what do you use? I'm not sure I have something that's a suitable replacement yet. So <laughs> Yeah. So if you think of something, will you let me know? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. So but I do look at where we can, we can help people see something that they might not have seen before. We can help them see a new way, help them see a new path. When I work with clients on their content, whether it's books or whether it's social media content, I invite them to think about what's the path that someone's on, where they're going to step off the path to then see what someone has to say about it. You know, like they need help with, I keep going back to this example of healing an organization or improving an organizational culture. So I'll just use that as an example. Let's say they manage a team of 10, 20, 50 people. They see that things aren't working on that team. They're on this path. They want to advance. They want productivity to increase, et cetera, et cetera. So what is it that needs to make them aware that you can help them solve that problem? You know, what kind of content needs to be created? And what, what is it that will meet them where they are on that path? Like they already know they have the problem and now they need to see that you can, you can help them with it. So writing the content, do I, as a listener, if I'm thinking, do I have to add my personal story all the time? Because when I see that, I see a lot of people use, I used to be like this, I used to like that, always adding some story, some past story. Do we have to always include past in sharing any content? That is a great question. I just ran a five-day content writing sprint and someone asked me that very question. And a lot of people don't want to share their personal story. 
So that's why I talk about personable writing as opposed to personal writing, where we want to, it's impersonable the way I define it. You know, I have a poetry background, so I make up words and then sometimes I <laughs> add on my own definitions. I feel like I'm allowed. <laughs> Could you make some distinction between personal story and impersonable? Right. So personable, I think, is somewhere between personal and professional in my in the way I the way I view it. So professional is where we had to talk like we did in corporate or in academia, or as a doctor, or as a lawyer. So I've worked with people in all those professions, and they learn a certain way of speaking, assessing, diagnosing, and writing. It's very important to them in their field. When they go out and they try to do something else, like write content that connects with people, they feel, they can feel wooden. That's what people have told me. People have told me they feel stiff, and that they don't know how to talk. They don't know how to write like they talk, or they don't, they don't know how to write in a more personable way. So the personable way is one step is one step between or maybe located between that professional voice. So they're still smart about what they do, they're still the expert, they're still confident in their work, and yet it's also broaching what's the personable. Like can you talk about your hobby? Maybe you have you know, my husband has a beer can collection, so I'll use that as an <laughs> example. Can you talk about your beer can collection? What if you were a collegiate soccer player? Can you talk about that? Yes, you can. I've seen people on LinkedIn who talk about their days coaching athletic teams and how they bring that experience coaching an athletic team into coaching leaders inside organizations. So there's a lot of ways you can bring your interests and skills and background into what you do now. Could you share any small instance where you applied impersonable approach, where you are still personal and making sure that it is a professional writing, not not just throwing everything from your personal life? Sure. So I have I have a piece of content that I've shared on LinkedIn, and it tells the story of how I went. I attended grad school at the University of Florida for creative writing, and while there, I took on a job as a copywriter for the Florida gift fruit industry. So the agency I worked for had a number of clients in the citrus industry. And what they do is they ship gift fruit all around the country and maybe internationally. I'm not sure about that. But would it include, you know, the packages would include oranges, grapefruit, honey, coconut patties, all those kinds of things. And I would write the copy for their sales letters, as well as their catalogs. So I told that story, not with all that detail, but I told that story of how I, the way I found the job is kind of interesting. I decided to look in the phone book because this was a long time ago when people still use phone books. <laughs> uh -huh. I decided to look in the phone book because I needed a job. And my, my student, student loan had not come through, and I'd spent a lot of my money. I was very young. I'd spent a lot of my meager savings on moving to Florida, and there was going to be a bit of a gap. So I had to find a job. So I cold-called my way to a job. 
And when I called this company, they said, oh, we were just about to place an ad in the paper, but why don't you come in? So I told this story how this is how I became a copywriter while I was in grad school. And that allowed me to then move on to a job after grad school in a similar field. And, you know, then I told the rest of the story of the evolution. It wasn't that long a story because I, you know, I skipped many years and I tried to keep it really tight and short. But that was a way of sharing a story where it wasn't too personal, but it was also letting you know about my journey to where I am now and let you see behind the curtain as to how I acquired my skills. Is there any negative impact of sharing too much of personal story? I think there is when someone consistently talks about having bad days and if they're doing that a lot. So... And this balance is going to be different for everyone's comfort level. Some people never want to show anybody that they ever have a bad day. And others will do it a little bit. And then others, it's their primary mode of communication. And I think when it becomes the primary mode of communication and there's a lot of complaining or stories about how you know, other people are wrong all the time, you know, where it begins to sort of paint a picture that maybe the writer has, is not getting along with people or or, you know, or kind of has like a bad opinion of the world or something like that. So I think that that doesn't really serve a content creator too much, except used judiciously and in a certain way that would help, that would get other people to kind of be on your side, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And I have shared a lot of personal stories in the past, and I still do sometimes, but I tend to share strategies. I was feeling that thing. And what did I do from from the past to the present, sharing some strategies, not just becoming a victim. Mm-hmm. And this happened, what should I do? So it's I, I see what you're saying. It's finding that balance and not coming across too negative, too complaining all the time. <laughs> and fictional. So I want to talk about fiction books. So in fiction books, people share their story, their personal story. Mm-hmm. Right. And when we are sharing our personal story, <laughs> that becomes like a fiction, right? What do you think about yeah. that? Yeah, it becomes when we share a personal story, I guess there's a couple ways to view whether it's fiction. So when we share a personal story, there might be some details that aren't accurate because whatever we're talking about happened 5, 10, 20 years ago. So we may misremember some of the details, yet the gist of the story is correct. So in some way, We can assume in most stories that people tell, there's going to be some inaccuracies and we might label that fiction of some kind. There's also a style of story when I work with people who don't feel comfortable talking about a client specifically, I'll say, well, you can talk about the kinds of people you help and then just say at the bottom of the story that this is a mixture of clients or that you change details you know, just be honest about it. You can say this is a kind of, you know, this is a story about, you know, you can weave in there. You don't have to start out the story like this, but you can weave in there that this is based on a story, but it's not specifically a true story, if that makes sense. Yes. What does the process look like from a content creator to writing a book? So with writing a book, One of the steps that I think is really great to start with is to get the ideas out of your head and onto paper. Sometimes people will realize they have multiple books. I worked with a designer one time. She attended a workshop I taught and she realized that she 
actually had multiple books that she could divide up by certain topics within her general topic. And she really loved that idea. Then there was, you know, a few other people I worked with. It was interesting to me how many people would realize they had two books and they really wanted to split out what they had into two different ones. So how do we get the answers to all of these and figure out what we're doing? It's by getting your head, by, sorry, by getting the ideas out of your head. And one of the ways to do that is through a mind map and then asking yourself some questions. So you can get mind map software online. You can draw it on paper. You can put it in Trello. There's lots and lots of ways to create mind maps and it can be Googled pretty easily. So what I recommend people do is write down the questions that people always ask them. That's a great, about what they do, you know, about the topic of the book, not just any question, <laughs> but write down relevant questions that people always ask you. Write down Such some as? of this. Well, I don't know because it would be different for everyone, but people might ask you, if you are a financial advisor, people might ask you, how do I retire? How do I save enough for retirement? Should I invest in stocks? Do I need a will? You know, people might ask questions like that. So I would write down those kinds of questions. Then I'm trying to think what's the other thing that I often recommend people do in addition to that. I have a, I have a number of, of questions that I usually take people through. Oh, I know. The other one is the ways that you've helped people in the past. So when I first started my business, I overlooked some of my major accomplishments in my career. And it was a business coach who pointed out some of these things to me and said, you should talk about these things. So now I've woven them into my, you know, into what I talk about so people can see that I didn't just wake up yesterday and decide to do this work, but I do have experience <laughs> and a lot of it, you know, I think we're too shy sometimes, not shy, but we're too um, worried that we'll sound like we're boasting. Yet people need to see that to know that you have experience in what you're going to teach and train them in. Do you enjoy being a writer? I love it. Yes. I'm married to a writer. I love to write. And I enjoy helping other people become better writers. So yeah, I love it. I, I heard somewhere that, I think I heard from Tim Ferriss, that if you want to expand your mind, if you really want to go from unilateral thinking to you know, different levels of thinking, you really need to write some ideas every day, at least 20 minutes of writing every single day so that it really helps you clear your mind in, in the form of journaling or if you're writing a book or a social media content, practice writing every single day. For me, I, I would write journaling and on, on weekends, I would spend four to five hours every weekend just writing my ideas. Hmm, that's nice. Yeah, I think it's great. And you become better at it over time. You yes. get a chance. It's, it's just like anything. You know, if you start jogging, the first day is really hard. And then by the time you've done it for two months, you're feeling pretty good and it's easy to do a mile, right? But then it's the same thing with writing. At first, it'll feel a little bit hard. There'll be some resistance. And then as you do it more, it becomes easier to go through the process. Okay. If we have a very curious listener to this podcast and he or she would be thinking, okay, Deborah, I got it. I write every day, but sometimes I hit writer's block. What should I do? <laughs> <laughs> and well, first of all, know that it's extremely common to have writer's block, to have a day that feels like it, it isn't going well or you're not in flow. 
There's somebody who's studied flow. So you can have a day like that and it's normal. So when that happens, I recommend getting up and moving and changing location. So taking a walk is a great way to get your mind thinking about something else. We can solve a lot of problems on a walk. Just going outside even, maybe gardening if you have a garden, finding something else to do for a while, maybe playing a game with someone or playing did solitaire. Solve, did you solve any problem today while walking? Did I? Yeah. I haven't taken my walk yet today, oh, but I might. Okay. When I go on my walk, I might solve some problems. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens when we take walks and what kind of writing problems we can solve? That's it. Yeah. You know, scientifically, I'm sure there's some explanation for what happens when we walk, but I think that it allows our mind to think about something in a more relaxed way. And there's something to that. I remember my dad told me once he was driving down the George Washington Parkway in Maryland. That parkway goes through Maryland and Virginia. So somewhere along, along that. And he solved a math problem while he was on this two-lane parkway. Of course, he, he couldn't pull over. There was no shoulder. So he had to try to hold the answer in his head till he got somewhere where he could write it down. But I think, you know, even driving. Driving is really great for being able to sort of be in flow, to kind of be in that in-between state. I get a lot of great ideas on trains and airplanes, you know, just somewhere that's not my normal space where there's some kind of movement. There's something to it and how the brain works. I don't know all the science behind it, but it seems to be quite effective. Usually for the book writers, it is said that, you know, never believe on your first draft. Just write your first draft, then throw it away. You know, have somebody give you feedback and do all those different processes. Should we mm -hmm. have draft process in terms of social media content writing or whatever first thing we write, we should just press publish button? Yeah, that's a good question. I think when you're starting out, it, it makes sense to sit on something a little while and take a look at it the next day. And you can take pressure off yourself if you batch your work. So let's say, let's say you choose Monday as your creation day and you're going to, and you love schedules and you're going to create your content between nine and 11 for that month on you know the first Monday of every month or something like that. And you just create a whole bunch in two hours, a whole bunch of social posts. So then you can, that Wednesday or Thursday, you know, give yourself a day or so, you can go back and look at it and see what you think about it, make tweaks, see areas that you could further clarify, et cetera, et cetera. That's one way to go about it. There's lots of different ways to go about it. Every now and then I'll just, be inspired and I'll type something straight into LinkedIn. And sometimes <laughs> it really lands well with people and the post might be really short. So there was one post where I was sort of, uh, I spoke from, I wrote from a place of passion about my challenge and deciding to hold it despite the fact the pandemic had just been declared and people resonated with this because it really came from my heart. But I think that it can work for certain kinds of posts when it's really coming from your heart and you feel like you're in flow. And then sometimes it, it might not land that well. So in that post, in that pandemic post, did you add your personal story or was it kind of a balanced personal and professional? I did add a bit of my personal story because the 
the writing challenge was something that I had waited for a long time to do. And then I wasn't, it's not that I was considering not holding it, but it was almost like a note of encouragement to myself and anyone who had signed up that we could still move forward and still work on this. And during that week, people said, I'm so glad to have this to provide structure. I'm so glad that I have a place I can report into and be with people. So it ended up being this place for all of us to come together. And we sort of had this unwritten rule where nobody talked about it that much. I think it got brought up one time and there was an unwritten rule that I didn't make this rule up. Everyone just did it. But this was the place where nobody wanted to be talking about it because they were hearing about it everywhere else. And it was a very interesting experience. Obviously, I didn't plan it. It just happened. And it was unlike anything else I've ever experienced. Have you ever experienced that there are so many emotions in your heart and that you just want to spill it out on, on a piece of paper or you want to share through social media post? I have done that on Facebook. They were more personal posts. They weren't really business related. And they were related to my dad passing away a couple years ago. And I began typing with my thumbs straight into Facebook. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was kind of wild. And people, I would get over 200 people commenting and liking the posts because it was resonating with people. And then I met someone who was also losing someone at the same time. And I was reading about her experience. She was reading about mine. And right down to talking about the morphine drips and the sound that it makes. I mean, it was really interesting how we ended up connecting. And then I received messages from people who said this really helped them and they appreciated the words and and so on. So I almost looked at them as, you know, love letters of sorts to Facebook friends. Yeah, it was it was another type of situation that was definitely it was not about getting business. It was about something else. Yeah, so I think it is definitely okay to share your personal story and if it is becoming too much of personal every single day in every single post that I, I was broke, I was not feeling motivated, da, da 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 then you know it becomes too much. So I think finding it balance is the key. Mhm. Yeah, and definitely. LinkedIn is becoming a new Facebook. A lot of personal stories are coming up these days. What do you think about that? That's what people say. Yeah, I think I see what they mean about the personal stories. I think it's not quite Facebook because the foundation of LinkedIn came from a lot of us joining and it being a place where we stored our resumes, basically. I don't know. I'm not quite sure what else to say, but we basically input our resume into a database. That's how we started there. And Facebook never quite got people to input all of their career data. So it's harder sometimes to know what people are doing on Facebook or who they are or what their backgrounds are. LinkedIn, that's usually more filled out. So I just feel like for that reason, there's going to be a difference at least for a while longer. I have heard some talk that LinkedIn wants to change some elements. It sounds like it would make it, if, if they did make those changes, it would have some more functionality similar to Facebook. So I could see that possibly happening. 
Yeah. So what do you think about it? (laughs) (laughs) Coaches, entrepreneurs, they are sharing their stories. And uh, this is great, I think. To the point, I mean, again, my philosophy is if I'm a diehard fan of somebody, I would go and read, even if they write 2,000 words in their post. And I have seen your post. I see your post every single day. And it's very to the point. It's along the lines of when you have different ideas, how do you map your different ideas and collect your ideas and streamline those ideas into one single line? And that's what I've learned from your post. And I'm still learning from your post that writing to the point and not just going all over the place just to get attention, to get likes, to get comments. Because sometimes we get likes, more comments more followers, it doesn't mean that we can have more buyers, you know? Mm -hmm. So conversion rate matters. Even if I get two comments or two likes, but they would be my diehard fan. I know whatever I would write, they would buy from me. So along those lines, thinking in that way, like minimalist thinking, not just finding the market. And again, it comes from different experiments, not just thinking that if just doing one thing all over the place, all over the time. This right. is how we see LinkedIn is a great tool and it is it is going to be in different directions and Facebook is becoming more and more personal. I think I'm more of LinkedIn fan these days. <laughs> Longest yeah. yeah, I like LinkedIn a lot too. I'm very and, fond of it. And it just, people can, people can connect from all over the world and we, we got connected through LinkedIn and that's how we are able to record this podcast. Yeah. I want to ask you how, what's your personal writing routine every day? I, I meet with a writing partner a few times a week. So neither of us works for the other. We're just, we're friends. And so we meet up usually twice a week and for an hour, sometimes a little more. And we write during that time. And then we read to each other and we don't judge each other's work. It's merely just to hear what the other person is doing. So that's part of my weekly routine. Then I'm usually doing some kind of writing every day. I don't set an exact time. I know some people do that and they love it. I'm not an exact time setting kind of person. I've never enjoyed that or having, you know, I'm going to wake up and write from four to five or, you know, seven to nine. It just wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't what I wanted to do. So, but I do write almost every day. So if when you write every single day, how much time do you dedicate usually? Or if it is not scheduled, maybe two hours, three hours, how much time do you dedicate every day? I'd say on a day where I have, I'm just trying to think, let's see, probably anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours or more, depending on what's going on. That's a great number. You know, if, if somebody can start writing, even if it is a crappy writing, for at least 10 minutes every day. And we can get to that number of two hours very easily. Yeah. And that doesn't need to be everyone's goal. You know, I'm helping some clients with books. So sometimes I'm editing and suggesting, suggesting to them some revisions and rewriting. Sometimes I'm rewriting for my students and helping them. So for me, it's more because it's part of what I do for other people too. And then my own writing, I love to do that too. And 
Yeah. So actually, you know, I haven't really split out the time that I'm doing for other people versus me. That's why it could actually be more than two hours if I included what I do for other people. But I think a conservative estimate is probably two. So if somebody really doesn't want to write and they think they can hire a ghostwriter or a writing coach or somebody to write their social media content, how do you feel about that? Well, I support ghostwriters and their existence because there are a lot of celebrity books out there that are written by ghostwriters. And <laughs> yes. I know that the ghostwriters do a fine, fine job of it. So probably if you look in books and you see where the, you know someone has thanked somebody else for giving me the words, or a lot of times people will thank their ghostwriters and make it obvious. Sometimes it's more subtle, but a lot of people who are well-known have ghostwriters because they decided to outsource that element of their life or their business. And I think that's great because writers can be really helpful in that regard. So I think that's fine, especially, you know, if they, I don't really feel like there needs to be shame around that. And I think it's fine for people to use ghostwriters just like they would use a marketing manager or anyone else who helps with any other element of their life. Yeah, I think that's fine. To do, do you that. think, can everybody become a writer? Or if they want to be a writer, can everybody have that skill to be a writer? I think anyone possibly, I think anyone could do it and that it's possible. It's just a matter of whether or not people want to. Some people choose not to work on that in their life and that's fine. And I've always told people not everybody needs a book. There are a lot of people who want to have books. And if you want one and you think it can be valuable for <laughs> your work, then I'd say go for it. But it's definitely not required to be a success in life or business. So, To be an author, I think when somebody becomes an author, it's just a title. Some, yeah, for some people, yeah. Like the way the way I would say it when I was helping people with books is that it's more than just being an author, but it's about what you're adding into your business. It's about building a strong business foundation. Because people would come to me and say, "How do I market my book?" And I'd say, "Well, how about instead of marketing your book, we talk about marketing your business?" Because you don't want to just market a book and try to get four book sales, but it's about how do you leverage that book. And how do you leverage any of your content really to be able to provide a strong business foundation so that you have the clients you need in order to succeed? And there are many backdoor hacks to make book successful, to make book become a New York Times bestselling book. So many backdoor hacks. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what kind of books do you like to read? I like to read a wide variety. So I love The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist is a good one. That was recommended to me by a business coach a long time ago. And I also like the memoir, The Blessing by Gregory Orr. He's a poet. He wrote about, he wrote about a family tragedy. There's also an essayist named Philip Lopate who has a number of excellent essays. Just reading those, I feel like I could become, I feel like I've become a better writer just by studying what he does. There's also anything written by Joan Didion. She's an excellent writer. Yes. And she's written, yeah, she's written novels, memoir, and I guess we could call it journalism or narrative journalism. And she's really... The Magic of Thinking Big, something like that? Yeah, she had The Year of Magical Thinking. Yes, I have that book. Um, about losing her husband. Yes. That, was a, that was a big one. And she has a lot of other ones too. Do you have any favorite author? Hmm. It's hard to say. Hard to say. Well, I think Joan Didion is one of my favorite authors. And 
her stories are simple but the way she connects is amazing mhm yeah you also founded the poetry magazine known as 32 poems or 32 poems magazine in 2003 could you give some idea on what you did and what is happening on those lines No. Yes. Uh with 32 poems I woke up one day and realized, "Oh my gosh, I created a brand. I created a brand. How did I do that?" <laughs> I did not even realize what I was doing. So I had experience I realized that my experience were in the work world contributed to my ability to start that magazine. Now the first thing I did was I asked my friend John to join me and he was a friend I made in grad school. He's a fellow poet, John Poach. and i asked him if he would want to join me on this venture he i jokingly say he was crazy enough to say yes and we worked together on it for 10 years <laughs> and he brought in some of his grad students he's a he's a creative writing professor now he brought in some of his grad students to help out on the magazine as well and then i had to figure out building the website selling it getting it printed and selling subscriptions so i learned how to do all of those things and we ended up with a magazine that is still going on even though both of us are not involved in it anymore we we ran it for about 10 years or maybe just under 10 years and then we handed it off to someone else Do we have a lot of writing coaches in the market? Yeah, there probably are a number of writing coaches out there just like any other coach. <laughs> so how <laughs> should we find the best writing coach for us? I would look for the kind of, I would look for a background that you like. For instance, one of my clients surprised me because he said he works in sales and he teaches people how to become better at sales. He liked it that I had a literary background. Um uh, some people will like that some people don't care so I would look for a background that you like in the person sometimes like for instance with me sometimes people like it that I have a marketing background because they don't have to explain things to me like what is demand generation I already know what that is financial advisors like it that I've worked with a lot of financial advisors they don't have to explain you know Monte Carlo or the rule of 72 I already understand what that is so you might want to find someone who has a background or expertise and if you don't see them mention it you might want to ask you know you might want to ask them about their expertise or background now it's not 100% necessary for someone to have that because the author the content creator they're the subject matter expert anyway that's just if you want to have someone who already knows more about what you do do you have any personal writing coach to review your writing on a on a regular basis or on a daily basis do i have one who reviews my work yeah No, not at this point. I've taken a lot of classes over the years and I've gone to writing residencies and I have my writing partner and my husband's a novelist. So sometimes I'll get his take on things and and he'll get my take on things too. <laughs> so so you have your husband to review your writing. Yeah. I guess I guess he might count as my writing coach then. <laughs> How about your daughter? Is she a writer? She's an excellent writer and she was I used to say she was I used to say that you know she had a novel on google docs so i don't think she's worked on it in a while though but yeah she's a good writer too so this came from 
genetics or did you teach her to be a good writer? I think just being with us and hearing us talk about writing and seeing her, seeing her dad working on a book, um, working on his first book and now working on, actually it's not his first book. That was the second, but working on his first novel, I'll say. And then now working on the second novel and seeing it come out and what that was all about. Then she's been infused <laughs> with writing. So it's kind of a ripple effect. Yes, exactly. I want to ask you one simple thing. If somebody is starting into their writing, social media writing or book writing, should they set any specific time for their writing or because they, they don't have any discipline right now and they may not have any consistency. So where should they start from? So what kind of discipline they can have? I, I usually suggest a few different ideas for schedule. So some people are morning people. I think the morning can be great. So one, I've been really busy with a couple work projects, but I actually would like to get back to, I would like to re-experiment once again with a schedule and see if I like it better. So I, I've been thinking for myself, it might look like getting up at five or six and working for an hour. Now I said, I know I just said a few minutes ago that I don't love that. I have to admit, I don't love the idea of it, but I thought I might try again and see if I like it, if I like it now. So that's what I would recommend to see if that works for people Last or find year, a different, what's up? I can say a smaller story from my life. Last year, I used to write around 9 p.m. for 20, mm -hmm. 30 minutes. And uh, it was difficult for me because 9 p.m. is too late for me. To, mm -hmm. uh, it's difficult for me to come up with new ideas. So I think what I devised and invented for myself is to write when my mind is at the high performance. Mind is at the peak, not when I'm about to sleep. So I think understanding that when, because everybody has different levels of energy at different times. So when you feel high energetic, when you feel that you are in a right mood, right mindset, and figuring out that schedule. Yeah, I think that can work really well. I think that's why you'll hear a lot of writers say that they write in the morning. And I know some people like to work through the night. So they'll, they sort of come alive at 10 o'clock at night and they'll work till one, two, three in the morning. <laughs> I have a playwright friend and she writes her plays. It's, it seems like she writes them in all the way through the night and then she sleeps most of the day. Can you write in the night? I could if I didn't if I didn't need to be awake in the daytime. <laughs> but I need to be awake in the daytime. But if I had my druthers, that's probably what my regular schedule would be. Would be to be up late until one or two working and then go to bed and then sleep until later in the day. And what's your sleep routine now? I usually well, I aim to go to bed by ten. That's what my ideal you know, that's what I wish I could tell everyone I was doing right now. But I tend to go to bed later than that, maybe 11, sometimes even later, because we've just sort of gotten into a later schedule lately. And then, yeah, and that's about it. But I'd like to, I'd like to move that bedtime up a little bit because I feel better when I do that. Interesting. And before I ask you my last question, I want to ask you, what is the role of hashtags? In social media posts, every some some people use three three hashtags. Some people use fifty hashtag. <laughs> How? What is the optimal number, and why we need hashtags? I think that it's there's a little bit of opinion behind it. So circling back to what we said before, what we were talking about before regarding testing and experimentation, I would experiment. I don't put hashtags on everything. 
I think there's a couple ways it can be used in, in neat in a neat fashion. One is if you came up with something like, let's say your name is Ed, you could just say Ed chat or Ed's thoughts or something like that and have that be your hashtag that belongs to you. Then it becomes easy for people to find your, your work later. There was a, I did a little series on LinkedIn with a hashtag about books and then I would mention it sometimes. And then people could search for this particular hashtag and then find the whole series about how to write a book. So they can be really useful that way. I think that's a fun way to use them. You can also use them to expand your your audience and footprint on LinkedIn because people follow hashtags and then it helps them to see your content. But if you're using 50, like you were saying, if you're using 50 on LinkedIn, I think it ends up looking a bit spammy. So, <laughs> on Instagram, people use a lot of hashtags. Yeah, I think on Instagram, it's more acceptable to use hashtags. And then I think people can use them in the comments too. Uh, I think that hashtags are more part of how Instagram works. But in a, fa- in a personal Facebook post, it would look a little bit spammy even to use one, <laughs> in my opinion. And then on LinkedIn, I don't think you want to use, I don't like to use more than about three. Now, will I break that rule every now and then? Yeah, sometimes. But I usually don't use more than about two or three if I even use them at all. And which social media app do you, do you open first in the morning? The one I use the most is LinkedIn. How about you? <laughs> I think these days it is becoming LinkedIn for me. Yeah. Yeah. And what impact do you want to have on the world through your writing? I would like to help people become better at communicating what they do so that they can help improve humanity. That is amazing. And before we conclude this conversation, Deborah, I want to ask you, where can our listeners find you online? You can come to my website, which is at radiantmedialabs.com. And you're also welcome to find me on LinkedIn, Deborah Ager, A-G-E-R. And those are the two main places where I am. Can they find you in Maryland? (laughs) (laughs) No, don't find me in Maryland. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Anna, and thank you so much, Deborah. It's been an amazing conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me, Nishan. It has been lovely to be here with you today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. I hope you learned from this episode that you can apply in your life. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to the podcast, The Nishan Garg Show on Apple Podcast. You can also subscribe to the show through my website, https colon slash slash nishangarg.me n-i-s-h-a-n-t-g-a-r-g dot me you can also share this podcast with your family and friends or whoever want to feel fulfilled and thank you so much again